0: Hello and welcome to What the FinTech, the podcast from the team behind FinTech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Alex Hamilton and I'm Deputy Editor at FinTech Futures and your host. And joining me for this episode of What the FinTech is Marina Goche, Chief Executive Officer at Centify. Welcome to the show, Marina.
1: Thank you very much, Alex. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, for everyone listening, this episode is all about investment and data and investment. We'll be talking about the effects of the pandemic, alternatives to traditional methods, uh, the retail trading boom from early this year, and much, much more. But first is our news in numbers segment. Uh, this is where we found some news stories or topics with particularly interesting numbers in them to chat about. Our guest traditionally goes first. So Marina, would you like to present what stories caught your eye and the number involved in it?
1: Sure, Alex. So the number that caught my eye was a recent report By Report Linker, which forecasted the alternative data market to grow to 69.36 billion by 2028. I think this is a particularly interesting forecast, first of all, because the alternative data market three years ago, meaning the market that is spending on insights from the likes of social media, satellites, web traffic, and so forth, was really only $350 million. So that's a considerable growth <coughs> the time period, and the forecast through 2028 is particularly interesting. I also thought it this particular report was interesting because the geographical growth in the market was really being led by North America and hedge funds in particular who are looking for or in search of alpha the growth is in the further market is also being driven by institutional investors who are looking to better manage their investment risk. And that the APAC region is expected to emerge as really one of the fastest growing regional markets for alternative data over the next seven years.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting figure. Like you mentioned about the, the way it's jumping up as well. and It kind of reminds me, um, I, I've only had like a fleeting introduction to alternative data methods, specifically in financial services. But it kind of reminds me of uh, something an old editor of mine used to tell me about in the commodity sector where... They would use you know, things like trackers on oil ships to tell the levels of oil that were floating in ships going through the Suez Canal and things like that, which always seemed to me a form of alternative data. So it's interesting to see uh, things like you know, social media, sentiment analysis, and approaches like that being used a lot more by institutional firms. I kind of wonder what the most outlandish ways to grab alternative data would be in the near future. But it's interesting that, that it's only just having such a, a huge uptick. Why do you think that is particularly?
1: Well, I think the um, the pandemic has certainly been a driver for market volatility, and whenever there's market volatility, there's a greater need to understand the drivers behind that volatility. So I expect that trend to continue. The other element is also that the number of devices that are connected to the internet has scaled significantly the number of voices that are contributing intelligence in social media has also increased considerably just in the last two years for example the number of voices in twitter has doubled from 250 million to 500 million so alex i think those are you know some of the fundamental shifts taking place in the market where access to insights from the ever-growing pool of data and devices that are available or connected today in the market is really enabling institutional investors to search for alpha in new ways, but also better manage their investment risk. Exactly.
0: I think it demonstrates, uh, like you mentioned, a wider move towards digital uh, services and, and digitization. And that sort of brings me on to the story that I brought with me. Um, the number in it is 80%. And that is the uh, the percentage of Germany's uh, securities that the exchanges operator Deutsche Börse is, is implementing, is aiming to hit by in the near future. It's aiming for 80% of its securities to be digitized using a new system called D7, which is based on blockchain technology and underpinned by um, services provider digital asset. It's hoping that the new platform can provide same-day issuance uh, and paperless, automated straight-through processing. Uh, Initially, it's going to be covering uh, structured products, warrants, certificates, commercial papers, and then rolling out across the rest of Deutsche Börse's remit. Um, It's partnered with Microsoft and VMware, among others, for it. Uh, There's a big group of German banks all involved, or banks that are involved in Germany, for example, uh, BNP Paribas, Deutsche Bank, Citigroup, and Raffaisten Bank. I think the managing director for the board has said dematerialization of securities and digitization of issuance processes is at the, and I quote, forefront of changing capital markets. The new system is expected to be available by the end of this year, with a full integration by mid-2022. Um, there's two things here, which I find interesting. The first is an ambitious target for the 1.80% of German securities digitized by mid-2022, and also the date, um, because a lot of people will talk about systems based on distributed ledger technology and other future technologies like this and think they're uh, very much a, a pie in the sky or future technology. But here we're seeing you know, a rather major uh, company in the capital market sector in particular Aiming to digitize a vast majority of its processes, and I think that's a really interesting sign of how quickly the industry is moving. Um, What do you think, Marina?
1: I think you're right, Alex. You know, there's a number of fundamental shifts at play in the financial markets, and digitization is one of them. I think the availability of data is clearly another, which then brings about sort of exciting new commercial models that previously have not been executed or implemented at scale.
0: Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview styled section where we talk about uh, a specific industry topic or sector and deep dive into it. Uh, We're going to be doing that in just a moment. Remember, we're talking about uh, investment data, changes, and technology. But first, I just want to give Marina a chance to talk about Centify and her role at the firm. So take it away, Marina.
1: Thank you very much, Alex um, Marina Goche, CEO at Sentify. Sentify is an alternative data provider. We listen to over 500 million tweets, forums blogs and news articles. As we mine that large pool of data real time, we're looking for investment signals. Um, these signals could be potential investment opportunities across various asset classes. They could also be risk signals. For example, meme stock rallies that are taking place well before those rallies occur. So, for example, when the GameStop meme, meme stock rally uh, and other meme stock rallies took place. Centify was able to detect the signals before those price movements. So for institutional investors and increasingly retail investors, what we offer is is really the ability to not just search for alpha, but also better manage risk.
0: Sure, great. And I, I know we covered it a little bit at the start of the podcast, but I just want to come back onto the inherent volatility and instability, although in some cases, if you, you know, if you happen to be someone listening who has an S&P tracker, you might think, what instability and volatility you know, that occurred during, uh, let's say, the height of the pandemic, those months around March, April, May 2020. How did institutional investors react in the immediacy and how have they changed their strategies while the pandemic is you know, still ongoing, but is not quite as uh, a new and uh, scary thing?
1: Yeah, Alex, I mean, what we saw is institutional investors really focusing on certain sectors, technology, healthcare, for example. We saw institutional investors really doubling down on their investments in data and technology to really monitor for unexpected momentum shifts and really understand where there may be alpha potential in that market volatility and also really to better manage their risk. We saw sort of investors also favouring active over passive strategies. The data clearly towards the end of last year and this year shows that um, institutional investors, in fact 70% of institutional investors, investors have favoured active strategies over passive management strategies during this volatility period. Yeah,
0: great. And um, you know, you, we mentioned with the way that alternative data is changing and, and moving along with, with the industry as it reacts. But how has alternative data, in the way that it's implemented, affected strategies on on the for, for investors in their day to day? You mentioned a fundamental shift earlier. Um, have there been challenges, roadblocks for investors trying to implement new styles of of data uh, gathering and analysis? Uh, there's also, I believe. I'm going to chuck in at the tail end of this question. There are um, concerns over if you grab, you know, uh, data from tweets, it comes in with privacy regulations, GDPR in the EU, and uh, I believe there's a Californian Privacy Act in the US as well. So how how has it changed the way that it operates on the day to day?
1: Well, um, you know, the data that um, that forms sort of the broad category of alternative data needs to be purchased in order to be analyzed. So some of the regulation challenges that you mentioned earlier are only an, an issue when the data sets are scraped or they're obtained in using means that, um, for which the, the vendor or the ultimate consumer doesn't have the appropriate licenses for. Mm. However, in the case of Centify, we purchase all of the data sets that we ingest, which enables us to, as I said earlier, monitor over 500 million tweets, news, blogs, and forums, including forums like Reddit, And what we have seen, particularly following GameStop and some of the other meme stock rallies, is that there's a greater appreciation for real-time signals from unstructured data sources. And retail investors in particular are better able today to congregate in these forums and to drive asset prices in a way that previously was never possible. So what alternative data does is help tap into or provide signals of when those situations are occurring. But setting meme stock rallies aside, um, another sort of way in which alternative data is changing the market is also in areas like ESG performance monitoring, for example. So as you would know, Alex, you know that the traditional ESG data sets based on corporate disclosures that are often out of date by the time they're published. However, there's an increasing interest not only from institutional investors but also retail investors to understand the real true ESG performance of a company. And with the likes of the data sets that Centrify collects, for example, we're able to see when ESG performance is shifting for a particular company real time. So for example, if there's a child labor issue that's been reported for a particular company, we're immediately able to capture that, make sense of it and alert our investors around. Investors who have subscribed to our datasets, alert them of, of that. Um, so alternative data is really facilitating real time monitoring of the financial markets to to really make more informed investment decisions.
0: Fantastic, and uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna switch in because you mentioned there already. You know how you monitor forums like Reddit. You talked about the retail trading boom. Obviously, there are a lot of different factors that can be argued helped to instigate the uh, the the GameStop saga. What, in your view, really kicked things off? And was it an access to, to easy trading methods via things like Robinhood? Was it the grouping of of retail investors on forums like Reddit or? Was it? Was there something else? Surely it wasn't just all about, you know, uh, the memes and the stonks.
1: Yeah, again, I think there are a number of factors, Alex, that were at play. I think, you know, the fact that zero fee trading was sort of more prominent across multiple platforms was one driver. Um, The second driver, I think, is that millennials particularly prefer to actively manage their own investments, and we saw this group more prominently entering the financial markets. Robinhood, for example, has said that the average age of the the participants on their platform is 31, right? And I think that some of the other factors are that um, the emergence of the ability to purchase fractional shares, which also... Increases liquidity, you know, in the financial markets. I think there are a number of factors that really led to the trends that we saw earlier this year.
0: Sure, great. And I mean, when we covered it earlier this year, there were obviously a lot of factors that, that like you mentioned, that flew in the face of, of some who thought it was a crusade against institute, the way institutional investors operated. Some who were there to um, to do it for fun. Like you mentioned, those who uh, saw an opportunity to to change the way they interact with the financial services sector. I know that uh, a group of of my friends took to asking me for financial advice, which I I warned them was never a good idea. Um, though uh, I know a few of them who invested in, in either GameStop or AMC or any of those kinds of stocks. So. What major ways did something like that, a boom in retail trading, change uh, the strategies for those trying to serve that market as well as those trying to serve institutional investors who no doubt uh, saw an opportunity in getting involved uh, amidst the middle of it as well?
1: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. I think uh, in order to serve retail investors, the go-to market strategies are different. Digital marketing, for example, being a necessary element of any. B2C model. The product strategies, I think, don't change. The information needs of retail and institutional investors are often identical um, in terms of the quest for alpha, the need to monitor investment risk real time to ensure they don't degrade portfolio value, as well as monitoring the ESG performance of companies, for example. However, from a technology strategy perspective, I think that's where probably the difference is the greatest between serving sort of retail investors and institutional investors. Um, For retail investors, clearly mobile and web-based data delivery channels become important and significant, whereas serving institutional investors often uh, requires technology strategies based on API solutions, for example.
0: Sure, and when it comes to, to the operating model of a, of a firm like Centrify and you mentioned earlier, the ability to scan sentiment in the market and, and predict or attempt to get on top of any kind of meme stock rally or things like that. Um, is that something that now has to become a regular part of um, institutional investors, you know, strategies going forward in the search for, for making sort of trying to predict these rallies as they happen, the effects of them on the wider market? Is that a completely new thing or, or is that just a new thing with it with a different tag, if you know what I mean?
1: I think it's um, it's certainly not, a short squeeze is certainly not a new thing, but I think what's new is that the ability for retail investors to quickly congregate and quickly execute to drive those short squeezes. Um, hedge funds, for example, lost $20 billion during the GameStop go So over 30 days in January, for example, GameStop surged from $17 to over $350. So for institutional investors, um, this is very much a sign, I think, that retail investors are flexing their power to provide liquidity and also to affect the execution price, which means that they need to really double down again and focus on ensuring that they're not adversely impacted by the short squeezes. So, for example, some of our clients are looking at new uh, enhanced metrics within their processes, um, looking at things like the daily liquidity in individual stocks, the short positions as a percentage of the free float and the size of the free float, how many trading days would it take take to cover outstanding short positions in the stock, you know, really additional metrics to monitor real-time where and when that next meme stock rally is taking place so that they're not on the opposite end of that unexpected market momentum shift
0: sure and you you uh you talked earlier a, a moment ago about the way obviously the way that firms must react when they're dealing with retail traders who are working primarily through mobile and expecting services that are very quick very ui intensive very flashy in many ways so how do you see with a greater retail trading interest in the market and also you know people getting involved with fractional shares and people putting you know not insignificant sums of money into these new trading platforms what in what way do you see technology changing it to react to that and to serve a large and growing new customer base
1: Hmm. Well, I think um, uh, the role that technology has played is to make execution more efficient and more cost effective, and I don't see sort of that trend going away. I think that other ways in which technology is really going to drive liquidity in the market moving forward is that machine learning technologies, for example, are going to make it much easier for investors to predict next asset rally. I think machine learning technologies will also make it easier for investors to make decisions and in some instances based on an investor's risk and return profile, make those investment decisions for them with bots then going ahead to execute sort of multi-strategy trades. So I think that the level of automation to facilitate investment decision making will steadily increase.
0: Here we are in part three for everyone's favourite section, the fintech jail. Our fintech Folsom is fit to bursting with buzzwords, but we keep getting them submitted. This is the section where we ask for a term, buzzword or trend our guests have seen or heard enough of. Uh, I then decide whether it deserves a place in the jail uh, or if it, it deserves an extended sentence if it's already in there. Also, our guests can turn up and try and... Argue, play the defence attorney, and argue for the release of a term that is already in there. So, Marina, what buzzword or trendy topic uh, do you wish was banished or released from our uh, fintech jail?
1: Well, Alex, I am going to um, uh, to advocate for the term big data to be removed from the jail cell. The reason being that by 2024, we anticipate that there'll be 1.9 billion 5G mobile subscriptions alone. Um, that's not to mention all the IoT devices and other connected devices that will also be generating large volumes of data real time. I think this large pool of unstructured data, by and large, provides a really rich foundation for us to surface new market insights, to better manage investment risk, to surface new investment opportunities, but to also um, uncover hidden patterns that we don't currently know about. And so for that reason, because of big data's ability to advance financial services in terms of the commercial models that can be defined and created, I suggest we take it out of the jail
0: and let it fly <laughs> mm. i I think that's a, 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 an interesting choice to take out a very early one i believe from episode four of season one i as far as i recall from that show uh, one of the reasons it was put in there was because uh, it is a uh i think specificity was the reason as in mm-hmm. big data is too much of a catch-all term for a, a segment of the of the industry which has a lot of uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, there's things like unstructured and structured data, data analysis, but to lump it all as into a big, big data uh, term w- was seen as slightly uh, oversimplifying things. But w- what's your take on that?
1: Well, you know, simplicity is not a bad thing. But I think what the term big data really captures is the great variety of of sources that are increasingly available, but also the volume and the velocity. Of the growth in that data set. So I do think it's a simple term, but what it does capture is, as you rightly said, all of those various data sources that provide an enormously rich pool to mine for new insights in ways that we have never mined before. So for that reason, I do think it should come out of the jail.
0: Hmm. I think one of the things that uh, we realized in season one was that we were being overly, in some cases, overly harsh with some of our terms. I believe there are a few in there that have got a life sentence. But what I will say is that big data has been in the fintech jail since season one, episode four. Um, I believe it was its parole hearing. Um, it's big day in court again, you might say. And I think... In terms of, uh, to, to stretch the metaphor to breaking point, um, in terms of time served, it's served its time in the fintech jail. So perhaps it does need to see the light of day. And I think you've persuaded me that it deserves a chance outside. Perhaps if there, there are some people listening here who either want to, I don't know, at me on Twitter or come on the show late in another season and they argue for it to go back in, they can. But no, I think for, for the time being, I think big data can uh, can emerge from the fintech jail.
1: Well, thank you very much, Alex. That's a good result today.
0: <laughs> so that's all we have time for for this episode of What the FinTech. Thanks to Marina for joining me. Uh, before we sign off, though, do you have any socials or websites you uh, you want to plug?
1: Well, thanks very much, Alex. It's very kind. We do have a retail investor product available, which provides insights from alternative data and the url for that is centify.com slash portfolio dash retail
0: excellent and uh As for me, you can find me on Twitter at adhamilton91 as I uh, slowly approach the 2,000 follower milestone. And on LinkedIn, uh, by searching my name. Also, by the time this is up, please check out FinTech Futures for our new report on financial inclusion in the era of digitization. All about how banks and financial institutions can grasp uh, the opportunity of serving of underbanked and unbanked people. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and on LinkedIn just by searching Fintech Futures and looking for our logo, the two Fs. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service of choice. As always, we also really appreciate it if you could help others find the podcast by writing a review, recommending us to a friend, or talking about us on social media. Thank you for any and all support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye.